Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we're going to visit with Kevin Brockway. He covers Indiana and Purdue and is a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. So looking forward to visiting with Kevin. We'll talk some Big Ten. We'll also talk about uh, the Florida Gators because he's very familiar with that program, having covered Florida for a number of years. Chris, how's it going, man? I'm well, buddy, and uh, today I thought we'd do a little uh, about face, and I would ask you Uh the first couple of questions. Uh, You've been able to see the big O, not Oscar Robertson, (laughs) Oscar Shibway, twice before I've gotten to see him. I I get to see him February 15th at Tennessee. I just wondered what you thought about him as a player and also as it relates to player of the year. I think he's on – he tops a lot of experts' list as maybe the, the best player in the country. Well, real quick, I've seen the other big O as well, uh, Oscar Robertson. I saw him at Cincinnati <laughs> one time. Uh, we were playing there with Belmont, and I looked across the court, and I said, wow, that's Oscar Robertson. That's the big O, you know? Uh, but they, yeah, yeah it was I've really seen cool. him too, and I was terrified to approach. <laughs> uh, I've only approached one hero in my life. Oh, yeah? It was Lou Brock at the Senior Bowl when his son played uh, football for USC. And I was terrified, but but as a Cardinal fan, I had to do it. And he couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> I was so glad because if he had told me to get lost, I'd have been bummed. I've had varying results with with meeting my heroes. Uh, there was one particular baseball player. It did not go especially well. And then uh, I, it, it's funny that, that we have this conversation because I was just at Kaywood's court last night. I met Kaywood Ledford one time, and he was terrific. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm maybe one and one on that. Uh, back to your original question about Oscar Shibway. Uh, I've seen him twice. Uh, he had 30 points and, and double-figure rebounds in the meeting in Nashville. And then uh, last night in Lexington had 11 points and 17 rebounds. Vanderbilt, I, I thought, you know, you look at those numbers and he had 11 and 17. I thought Vanderbilt actually did a, did a pretty good job on him. They were really physical with him and just put bodies on him every time and, and were able to box him out. He would have had more rebounds than that if they hadn't done some really pretty good work. But the thing that really stands out to me about watching Oscar Shibway play is how well he moves around. Um, he's about six, eight, six, nine. He weighs probably about two fifty, but he, he's really athletic and fast and, and he can go from outside to the opposite side of the basket and get a rebound in a hurry. He is like, he arrives out of nowhere at times to, to get those boards. He, he's really impressive to watch play in person for a Kentucky team that I, I think, you know, along with Auburn, they really might be the two best teams in basketball. You throw Gonzaga in there and then probably a couple others, but, um, uh, Kentucky looks like they might have all the parts to make a pretty deep run this time. With a team that's a little bit older, uh, they have some veteran guys who's been who've been around. You know, they have quite a few transfers, and uh, those guys are, are serving uh, John Calipari well. Uh, I thought Vanderbilt really played well against Kentucky uh, on Wednesday night. If Vanderbilt brings that game uh, each time out in February, I think I have a chance to win some ball games. Uh, it was a really physical game. There were some flagrant one calls. There were some technicals called. John Calipari got one in the first half. Jerry Stackhouse got a tee in the second half. Scotty Pippen Jr. scored 33. He's had two big games against Kentucky. It's been an interesting pair of games. Uh, Kentucky won pretty comfortably in Nashville, but Vanderbilt played really well in Lexington. Uh, Kentucky won the game 77-70. I think Shibway has a great chance to be a national player of the year. He, he's certain to be first-team All-American. He's averaging 16 points and 15 rebounds. and He'd be the first player in over 40 years to average 15 and 15 going back to the 79-80 season. He, he's having a great year and is a 
re- really impressive guy by all accounts is a really good dude. I, I think a lot of people around Lexington and, and, and around uh, UK really like that guy. So yeah, it, it's been uh, fun to watch those two battles this season. You mentioned those numbers. I dug up a couple more numbers, which I think are incredible. He's number one in the country in defensive rebound percentage. He gets 37.1% of Kentucky's defensive boards. He's number two in offensive rebound percentage, almost 20% there. But what's crazy is he's only playing 75% of their minutes, Uh which is just 470th in the country. Uh, And then I looked up his 40-minute rebound average. This is nuts. That's 20 per game at 40 minutes. And his per 100% possession average is 28.3 boards. <laughs> Good grief. So, and, and all that and his scoring average, the, the most he ever scored was his freshman year in West Virginia. It was around 11. He's averaging 16 now. He's shooting 61% from the field. And I think you saw this. He's got a, a mid-range game that he's not afraid to to pull out that jump shot. So uh, you add that and – they say you only need one next level uh, skill to translate and, and have a good NBA career. He's already got that. But if he can continue to improve his face-up game, he could be a monster at the next level. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. He, he looks like he has uh, pretty much the full arsenal of uh, tools in the toolbox to uh, be a good NBA player. The guy, to me, for Kentucky is starting to make a big difference is Keon Brooks. Uh, he, yeah. He scored 27 against Kansas in, in just that unbelievable beatdown that they put on the Jayhawks. That just doesn't happen at Allen Fieldhouse. I still can't believe <laughs> right. it. Right. Uh, and then Brooks followed that up with another 20 points on Wednesday night against Vanderbilt. He He's a terrific athlete. He goes up so high on his jump shot that it's hard to block him. But, you know, a lot of mid-range stuff out of him, too. It's funny, Kentucky has some mid-range game. You can see that out of Ty Ty Washington and, and out of Keon Brooks. Uh, Davion Mintz hit four threes and had a big game. Kellen Grady was really good in the first half. He uh, cooled off in the second half from three. But, uh, yeah, they look like a team that, that has the pieces to to really do some damage here in about uh, six weeks or so. Uh, I want to ask you about Auburn real quick. Uh, they remain number one. They swept Alabama on Tuesday. It was a, a wild scene down there. Uh, do you feel like there, there's any stopping the Tigers in the SEC? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to go unblemished in an 18-game conference season, but Auburn's really playing well right now. We'll know by the 19th of February, Kevin, uh, because uh, they they have to go to Arkansas on the 8th. And you, you and I have both been down there. You know what an atmosphere that is, especially when it's packed, and it will be packed. Uh, that'll be a challenge. I think uh, maybe, I don't know the status of Colin Castleton at Florida, whether he's, how long he's going to be out. But they play at Florida on the 19th. Uh, those are two games I'm looking at uh, that that possibly they could lose. They do play at Tennessee on February 26th. But I'll tell you what, Bruce Pearl has his old school's number under Rick Barnes. I think they've won six or seven in a row, uh, much to the chagrin of Tennessee fans. But, right. you know, Bruce would still be there if it hadn't been for uh, a couple of NCAA issues. So, they shouldn't be too upset about that. It wasn't the administration that wanted to part with Bruce. Bruce kind of parted himself. 
Speaking of Rick Barnes and about uh, going back to familiar places, there there was one that was a, a warm welcome and one that was a not so warm yeah. welcome uh, down in the Lone Star State over the last few days. Uh, the, the Rick Barnes scene going back to Austin was was really nice. They they it was they, they uh, rolled out the uh, the burnt orange carpet for Coach Barnes. Uh, the Vols made a big rally to tie the game. They missed the three for the win. They they ran a perfect length of the court play to try to get a good look, but uh, just could knock it down. But they I, win that game if uh, the, one of the Kamwa <laughs> doesn't foul a kid shooting a desperation heave at the half. Yeah. And fouls and puts him on the line. The kid makes two of three. They lose by one. But I, if, if I was a coach, that would, that would drive me. I could – I don't know, man. I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have trouble with people fouling uh, three-point shooters. They always say never foul a jump shooter. But but Chris Especially Beard, on a desperation. Right, exactly, exactly. And I, I've seen that a couple times in games I've done this year. But but Chris Beard, uh, you know, was very welcoming to his old coach and uh, – and uh, that that was, oh, was that, that was cool, but then <laughs> and then Beard felt <laughs> the other side of this sort of thing when uh, he made his uh, return to Lubbock uh, back earlier in the week. They they showed the buses rolling in the night before the game, and these all these Texas Tech kids were out there, you know, telling him he was number one in, in no uncertain terms. And then the game just felt like they were looking for a pound of flesh. I mean, and they, you know, Texas Tech played really well, and they won seventy seven sixty four over Texas. But goodness sakes, I'm thinking, man, you know, you know. You, Chris Beard's going back to his alma mater. You know, he got a, probably a mountain of money to do it. And he's also a oh. guy who took your program to the Final Four in, like, places they've never been. Yeah. You know, are, are you really that mad at the guy? But uh, yeah, yeah, apparently I, they were. They, they were not very it, pleased it's, when it's he came back. It's funny that you mentioned uh, – the, the, you said that, that they uh, rolled out the, the red carpet for Rick Barnes. At Texas Tech, they had doormats with Beard's <laughs> face on it, yep. and the students wiped their feet on him. Yeah, it's a little nasty. Uh, so so much of a different situation. At Texas, the AD at the time, who, who's a numbskull, Steve Patterson, eventually got himself fired. He went to Rick Barnes and said, you can keep your job if you fire your assistants. Now, if you know Rick Barnes, he ain't going to fire his assistants. He's loyal to the core. So he, I think he gave Patterson a, a, a one-fingered salute. And, uh, you know, uh, the next day he's on a plane to Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was emboldened by that. But I think he leaves anyway rather than – than. Uh, so him coming back to Texas, I, I think people have a chance to reflect. He had his critics there. But you know what? 16 NCAAs in 17 years, that's pretty special. Sure. Uh, you know, people want to talk about Final Fours. They only got to one. But I'll tell you what, he still hungers, as he told me, to play on Monday night. Now, with Chris Beard, totally different story. The fans thought he betrayed them. And he had spent a lot of time down there working for Bob and Pat Knight, too. But, yeah, you, you got to let it go because, look, Texas uh, Tech is better than Texas right now. Yeah. And what's really crazy is everybody thought, oh, wow. Texas uh, racked up the best portal class in the history of the portal. And it looked like it at the time, but, uh, and the, you know, these kids are playing well, but uh, Texas tech reached in and grabbed, let, let's say less heralded players out of the portal. And I think they're what ranked 14th and yeah. Texas was 23rd. And, you know, they took care of business the other night. So uh, 
I will be interested to see when the game is returned at Austin, though. Also an interesting week with, with comments about name, image, likeness. And I know these are football coaches uh, talking about Jimbo Fisher and also some comments from Nick Saban. To me, the whole thing just seems like the wild, wild west, uh, especially you, you throw in NIL and the transfer portal and put it all together as far as player movement and you know who knows what all is going on at various places. What do you make of no it? No question. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I can see Coach Fisher's anger and – Nick Saban had a pretty diplomatic response. He said, I think it's a good thing that players have an opportunity to work and make money through NIL, but I would hope that we could come up with some system in the future uh, where players don't make a decision relative to how much money they make. Well, uh, fat chance of that. And my answer to the whole thing is, what did you expect when you basically, I mean, there's a kid in my neighborhood uh, he plays for a, a prep school that is pretty successful. He drives a Porsche. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and, and you know, he can't be more than 17, 18 years old. So uh, who knows what's happened there? And it's, and it's legal. But I can tell you an instance where I talked to a mid-major coach who on the very last day players could transfer uh, – He lost an all-conference caliber guard, and the guard wound up at a power conference school, and he was told that if you go here, we can guarantee you X in NIL. So there's no question, and this coach wasn't outright accusing anybody of anything, but he proceeded to tell me how tampering goes on and it's not directly a school calling a player. Oh, it's much more subtle than that. Uh, the AAU coach is involved. Sometimes the high school coach is involved. Yeah. Maybe a well-intentioned uncle that they go through. And by the letter of the law, it's not tampering. But this has opened up Pandora's box. And, and I'm, I'm with Coach Saban. I think that players should make money on their name, image, and likeness. But – if you just trot this thing out, you know, and and, and don't uh, police it or, or don't come up with with uh, rules to to regulate it, yeah, this kind of stuff's going to happen. Yeah, I, I I've always been in favor of student athletes getting something, and I have no problem with that. But yeah, you got to figure out a way to, to regulate this stuff somehow. And you talk about tampering, especially with mid major players. That's, that stuff's been going on a long time. It just seems like this maybe ramps it up even more. But uh, I think that'll be uh, something to keep an eye on as we go forward here. Chris, we're joined by Kevin Brockway. He is a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. He covers Indiana. He covers Purdue. He covers all sorts of sports for uh, several newspapers up in the Hoosier State. Kevin, what's going on? Good morning. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, snowing down here. So far, we've got about two or three inches, but uh, it's supposed to get worse as the day progresses. So I am... Uh, I am stuck inside and ready to talk some college hoops. All right. Well, we can have like an hour-long visit or something here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to tell you my weather report, Kevin. It's 65 and uh, rainy, so uh, (laughs) I won't have to be shoveling. Uh, That brings up a question that I wanted to ask you. For years, you've covered Florida in sunny uh, Florida. I wonder, now that you're in in Big Ten country, what are the differences that you've seen – uh, traveling around the Big Ten versus traveling around the SEC in, in fan base, in importance to the schools, 
uh, basketball's importance to the schools. Kind of what are, are the differences that you've noticed? Yeah, it's definitely more of a basketball conference, I would say, in terms of the passion, in terms of uh, some of the arenas that I, I have been to. Um, I was just in Maryland last week, and Maryland is a program that I'm actually a former ACC program, but really it's a proud tradition and, and history. And uh, it was really neat going to the lobby. They had the Final Four floor up from the 2002 National Championship. Um, just a lot of uh, left. So even the schools that they've added, like uh, Maryland and Rutgers, has a tremendous atmosphere to rack. Uh, it is very good. Penn State is, you know, not quite there. But you go around to some of these Midwest schools, Illinois, uh, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. It is uh, basketball crazy here. And, of course, Assembly Hall, uh, the Indiana-Purdue game, uh, the student section was lined up, I would say, probably about a mile, a mile and a half before that game. Wow. So uh, wow. it was uh, it was, it was that, uh, that significant of a mile. It was, like, you know, around the corner from the basketball facility all the way to the uh, volleyball facility. So that was a good, like, half mile, mile. Uh, lined up of students probably about two or three hours before the game. It was it was pretty incredible, and that was that was an amazing atmosphere. And the students rush the court; they don't have the rush the court rules like they do in the SEC in the Big Ten. So they just come down there and they they go nuts <laughs> and they get upset. Uh, Purdue. It was kind of a, it was kind of crazy, but uh, it's been fun the last three years covering the Big Ten. And you know, without COVID, now the fans are back and and traveling a little bit more. It's been a it's been an enjoyable experience. I'm guessing you never saw a mile. Uh, half a mile to a mile line uh, down at the Odom. You know, uh, people kept that overnight there. I, I will tell you when Billy had it going in 2006 and 2007, you had people camping overnight. You did have long lines for the student section. Um, obviously maybe you're not seeing that now, but uh, when, when they were rolling, it was pretty good down there. You'd be surprised. Uh, it was actually, uh, uh, you know, there, there was a really good student turnout. I always felt like with Florida, student turnout was never the problem. The problem was the general community. And I, yeah. Yeah. I wrote a story about that back in 2012 about how, you know, it has always been in Florida football state. And it's, it was very hard for college basketball. It has been hard for college basketball to catch on down there. And if you look at the attendance figures, I mean, Florida is actually the best of the schools. If you look at Florida State and Miami, uh, they really struggled to get fans. I think Florida State probably the last five or five years that Leonard Hamilton has got that program going has probably been a little bit better, but it took years for that to develop as well. Kevin Brockway is our guest. I was just at Florida with Vanderbilt about a week and a half ago. They did a terrific job on that arena, by the way, with the renovation uh, over the last five years or so. Really nice place. But what, what do you think about Mike White's long-term future there? He's won a lot, and they've been to the tournament and those sorts of things, but Billy Donovan's a hard act to follow. What, what do you think about his future? Yeah, and I think that there's some frustration about the ceiling right now, the fact that you know Mike has been to the tournament. And listen, Billy went through this very similarly between 2001 and 2005 where he couldn't get out of the first weekend of the tournament. Um, but his teams were contending for SEC titles, actually split a few SEC titles. Mike now is in a position where, I mean, if you look at it, Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, some of these programs have really passed Florida. It used to be Florida yeah. and Kentucky were the top two contenders in the league. It's not that way anymore. And I think some fans are, are frustrated about that. And uh, I, th But, you know, I, I think with Mike, he's had some bad luck with injuries this year with Colin Castleton, uh, you know, obviously, and Jason Jatoba's backup center is going now. He's basically going with, what, four guards and Anthony DeRuji at center right yeah. now. So, it's it's been a tough go, um, you know. I think if he gets the tournament again this year, and right now they're fourteen and eight, they just had a a good road win against Missouri that they squeaked out. Um, you know, maybe he gets a little more rope, uh, but we'll see. Also, if he wants to stay there long term, um, I, I think that's the question too. There were some rumblings last year that he did 
interview or at least send some feelers out to Utah and Arizona as well. So uh, we'll see how long that marriage lasts long term there. I promise we'll get back to the Big Ten, but I want to ask you one more SEC question because you still uh, help us write some SEC schools for Blue Ribbon because of your contacts. Uh, you wrote Auburn. And you always talk to Bruce Pearl. I wonder in your conversation, did he let on that he thought he had this kind of team or, or what did he think? Oh, yeah. Well, Bruce is, is by general always optimistic, but I think he felt yeah. that guys like Wendell Green were going to be able to play up in the next level, which he has. He was very excited about Jabari Smith. I think he knew he had a lot of talent. He felt like he had a lot of depth in the post at the center position, and that's been playing out right with, with Cardwell and with Walker Kessler. So I think he felt really confident going into this team, whether he thought this was a top five program or not. Uh, maybe he thought he would, it would develop into that. Um, you know, whenever you bring in a lot of transfers and, you know, Florida is going through that too with, with Mike White also is like, I think you always worry about the chemistry, right? How quickly are they going to mesh? And it seems like Auburn has meshed uh, incredibly quickly, probably, you know, more quickly than, than Florida has. And I know Florida had some COVID issues in the offseason, but it's really helped. But I, I think the talent level too, when you bring in a guy like Walker Kessler, when you bring in Jabari Smith, who's just all, such a multi, you know, faceted big, you know, as a guy that can face up and shoot from outside, uh, you've really got something. Whittle Green's quickness at the point guard spot. You, you've really got something there and uh, they, they've taken it and run with it. And they're the best team in the country right now. And it's a credit to Bruce Pearl, who obviously has been through a lot. It's been a rocky tenure at times there, but uh they stayed the course with him. People forget he had about three or four losing seasons to start and they were patient with him. They let him build. There were obviously, you know, some more off court issues and they navigated through that. And, and now he's got the program uh, to the point where, uh, you know, they're one of the best in the country. Kevin Brockway is our guest. Uh, he covers Indiana, Purdue, and, and, and lots of sports for new, newspapers around the Hoosier State. And of course, a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. Uh, I want to ask you about Indiana and about Purdue. We'll start with the Hoosiers. Mike Woodson's done a good job. They're they're having a good season. Uh, uh, they check in at sixteen and five and seven and four as we do this conversation. But uh, have they maybe finally found the right guy for that job and bringing back a, a, an Indiana alum to uh, to lead the program? Yeah, it was a very popular hire, and you wonder sometimes, you know, the parlance is you know versus winning games versus winning the press conference. Sure, yeah. And certainly, they won the press conference with them, but they're winning games with them as well. And I think what he has done is he's kind of created an identity and some some points that the team can turn to. Number one is protecting home court. They're 13-1 at home this year. They've beaten Purdue at home. So they've been very good at home. Uh, also, uh, defense first team, he established that identity early on. They're fifth in the uh, nation, the first in the Big Ten in field goal percentage defense versus scoring defense. So he's got them committed to the defensive end of the floor. And uh, I think he's the kind of guy, he's the right mix because he's the kind of guy, he'll get on players, but he won't dwell on things. And a lot of, well, when I did a takeout on him before the season began, a lot of his former players, I kind of did a story about how Woodson, the player, has translated in his career to Woodson as the coach. And a lot of players talked about that, that he kind of had that short memory as a shooting mm -hmm. guard and as a swingman. And I think he translates that to his players and he gives his players confidence. I mean, uh, and and doesn't put a red light on them. For example, Race Thompson, I think, is a perfect example of a guy who was told he couldn't bring the ball up the court. He was told he couldn't shoot three-pointers. Mike Woodson said, we're going to let you bring the ball up the court. We're going to let you shoot three-pointers. And Race was a little shaky against the press in a few games, but he stuck with it. Race started three of 27 from three, and he's four of his last uh, five, I think. And 
And, and, and if you could have a foreman like that that spreads the floor, Mike Woodson from his NBA experience, that really helps. That opens things up a little bit. He's playing extremely well this year to complement Trace Jackson Davis. They have them both going at the same time right now. Uh, Xavier Johnson, the point guard, is uh, you know was a little shaky early, but Mike Woodson stuck with him. But he has that explosive ability that passing the other guards didn't have in terms of beating guys off the dribble, and he's been very good. I, I, and, and Woodson's established a bench, too. Trey Galloway, since he's come back from injury, has been very good. So I think all those things, those identity, the talking points, have really translated into uh, being a good team. But they do have, I think, the rough stretch of the Big Ten schedule right. coming up in February, and we'll, we'll see how they navigate that. I wanted to ask you about Purdue, the other team that you see a lot of. Early in the year, I thought they would be in the spot that Auburn is now, maybe one loss, maybe even undefeated. Uh, but it just shows you how tough that Big Ten is, isn't it? No question. And uh, I think with Purdue, they're an explosive offensive team. Uh, the continuity, you know, 94% of their, you know, scoring or, or you know, production really returning from that roster is really playing out in terms of the chemistry. The biggest issue with Purdue right now has been sometimes in late game situations and handling pressure. You know, Iowa pressed them, puzzled some problems. They pulled out that game. Uh, Rutgers pressed them uh, at the end of the game. They had a couple of turnovers. And Rutgers ends up, you know, beating them at home on a last second shot. So little things like that in terms of, of the guard play, you can kind of get in Purdue's grill a little bit and fluster them. That is that is their one Achilles heel. Uh, but, you know, they have tremendous size. They have tremendous depth. You know, you're playing Zach Eady and Travion Williams at center. Can't quite play them together because of the fact that uh, defensively you would, you would suffer a little bit. But uh, with Zach Eady and Travion Williams, uh, you've got two guys that are all Big Ten centers. One relieving the other just wears down on opposing teams. It really, it really does. And you know, I know Matt. I know Matt Painter has been a little disappointed with the defense as well. He thinks this could be a better defensive team. Uh, but the guard play too, and the turnovers, the decision making with the guards, uh, and, and the production from the guards as well. I think it boded well that last night uh, uh, Eric Hunter scored 20 points. That's the guy that they're kind of looking for. Uh, to give him a little boost uh, from the guard spot. You know you're going to get threes from Sasha Stefanovic. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the Big Ten. But if they can get a little more production and a little more steadiness from the point guard spot with Eric Hunter and Isaiah Thompson, um, they're still in a good spot. They're a game out of first in the Big Ten. And I think that uh, they'll be there when it's said and done, and they're going to be a, a top-four seed, if not maybe number one or number two seed. Kevin, before I let you go, maybe a short answer question. How many do you think the Big Ten gets in uh, with the tournament just a little over a month away now? I think uh, seven, possibly eight could wow. get in. And uh, Indiana's in that mix. Um, I think, you know, kind of the teams that are somewhat on the bubble there would be maybe Iowa and Rutgers, uh, those, those kind of teams. There might be some of them getting. But it's been a, it's been a really tough league. And, uh, you know, watching Illinois last night and Kofi Coburn and what he does <laughs> – 37 and 11, and they're coming in. Uh, they look tremendously tough. Purdue, Michigan State has righted itself under Tom Izzo. They're playing very well right now. Wisconsin under Greg Gard has been the big surprise. Uh, so there, you, you've got five teams uh, right now that are in the uh, top 25. Ohio State under Chris Holtman. They overcame some COVID issues early this year. And then you've got Indiana and Iowa kind of neck and neck at six and seven. So maybe those six, seven teams, maybe Rutgers, if they make a late run, could get in as well. 
That was Kevin Brockway, a Blue Ribbon contributor, covers Indiana, Purdue, and uh, various sports for 11 different newspapers uh, up in the Hoosier State. Always a terrific guest. Uh, enjoy visiting with Kevin. And you know, It's funny, uh, in, in some of the travels around the SEC, you're, you're talking about the difference between, say, the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference. I actually heard a, a, overheard a conversation an assistant coach was having who had been in the Big Ten and uh, talking about being up there and how different it was and you know some of the rivalry games. And uh, One of his points was, one of the differences you saw in the Big Ten from a fan's perspective was that you could take a midweek game between two teams that are middle of the pack in the Big Ten and you'd have a big crowd and a cranked up atmosphere. Whereas in the SEC, a lot of times, okay, if you have the the, the top teams playing, it'll, it'll be all fired up. But, you know, maybe for some on down the line, it's not quite as much. And, you know, he was just talking about what the uh, sort of the, the fan support was like uh, comparing those two leagues. But, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting conversation. I think so. I, when when Rick Barnes, we were talking about him earlier making the move from uh, the Big 12 to the SEC. I talked to his, a couple of his assistants uh, that year, and I said, what are the differences that you see? And, and they said the kinds of recruits that you re- – uh, players that you recruit in SEC country, basketball might be their third sport. You know, they're playing football, they're running track, baseball, whatever. Uh But the kids we recruited in the Big 12 and in the Midwest, they were basketball junkies, period. Uh, So that's another difference. Uh, You're recruiting. And we're talking about your old school Belmont. I mean, there's no secret that Rick Bird uh, and and now Casey Alexander, his replacement, they take a lot of kids from the Midwest uh, because of that reason. You know, they want – basketball purists because they feel like that's the the best chance they have to win they're not going to out athlete anybody but maybe they can outthink. maybe they can out shoot uh and those are the kind of kids you get who are junkies from the midwest uh look at the schedule coming up this weekend around the sec auburn plays at georgia tennessee at south carolina lsu at vanderbilt we'll see that game the uh, shane foster uh, jersey retirement will happen there we'll see number 32 go to the rafters uh, kentucky will play at alabama that that'll be an interesting matchup too also it's number nine duke at north carolina the final visit uh, just down the road to chapel hill for mike shashevsky a uh, neat scene there with roy williams and that 82 team last weekend when they played nc state and you know a team that roy williams uh, pretty much owned during his time at north carolina and they beat him again on roy williams day but uh, coach k will be there uh, it's really one of the great rivalries maybe maybe the best in college basketball and uh, it'll, it'll be the last installment in that building for Mike Krzyzewski, and they'll, they'll play at Duke later on in the season, so that'll be fun to watch. Uh, UConn at Villanova. Illinois plays at Indiana. We talked about that one with Kevin Brockway. Iowa State at Texas. Michigan at Purdue. Baylor at Kansas. USC at Arizona. And Gonzaga plays at BYU, so a good slate of games coming up on Saturday. Chris, let's uh, do our Book of Boba Fett review for this week. And it's more like a book of Mandalorian review because the the most recent episode uh, that came out last week, actually there's a new one out that I haven't seen yet, but it, it focused on the Mandalorian and it sort of brought Boba Fett's memories up to speed with where they are in the here and now. And you uh, saw a lot of stuff with the Mandalorian. Uh, started out with him uh, going in to, to retrieve a, a, a person of interest from the, the meatpacking factory. And, and I think, you know, when he, when he did all that, I think some of those people that were working in there looked at that dark saber and said, you know, that would be a pretty handy tool for, for cutting meat. <laughs> There's no question. And and who knew that, that people in a galaxy far, far away like bacon. Exactly. You know? well, I mean, who doesn't like bacon? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great scene though. And, and uh, 
Yeah, he put that dark saber to good use with <laughs> Cabo Baez, uh, a, 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 a criminal element who resisted being taken in. Uh, Mando decided uh, that wasn't going to happen. You're coming with me, cold or warm. Yeah, bring, bring him in common. warm or bring him in cold. That, that should be the motto yeah. for our show, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, you know, he, he, he goes and visits, and I'm drawing a blank on the character's name, but, but the lady who who forges the, the best girl. So the, the issue I have with her is, and Mando was having trouble learning how to use the dark saber. And I guess some of that, you know, goes with his, whether you have the, the connection with the, the blade and how you want it in battle or whatever. But then she basically tells him that he can't be a Mandalorian anymore because he took off his helmet. Man, this dude's out there doing everything under the sun and fighting off all these people and, and, and going all these places and, you know, trying to get Grogu to the Jedi's and, and everything else. Can't you cut him a little slack on taking off the helmet yeah. once? I mean, come on. She's the forger. And he needed it for the facial recognition uh, when they drove that uh, explosive-filled truck. Yep, yep. I mean, the dude had to. And he also, I mean, you know, Grogu wanted to see his face at the end uh, of, of season two. But I thought that was a little harsh. But he gets off that planet with his armor intact and he's still got the lightsaber so hey you know mandalorian in name only or yeah hey i got the goods <laughs> I, you know i got the jetpack uh, i don't need that other well, stuff like bo katan so. and, and, and some of the others sit around with no helmets all the time uh, they, they kick them out of the the mandalorians uh, yeah, uh, I, mean, I have some well, questions about that whole thing and and then so he goes back to tatooine and, and he gets a new ship and it, yep. it's it's if you've seen the Phantom Menace, which to me is not one of the better installments in the Star Wars saga, no. but uh, it was an old Starfighter from there, and they they worked on it and got it all put together. And I, I was happy that they sanded off most of the yellow paint, so it wouldn't remind anybody of of the uh, of that movie. Of that movie, <laughs> Naboo and one Starfighter. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, what's crazy is that uh, very appearance has sparked a bidding war for those toys on eBay. Really. So uh, if you had the Razor Crest, <laughs> your stock has dropped. <laughs> if you've got the Naboo N1 Starfighter, it's time to sell. But where is he going to put the the criminals if he's, yeah, there, he's there, driving this no thing? Room. Yeah, I mean, there's I no... mean, it's like one of those little cars. I, I My motto was never buy a car where you can't put your golf clubs in back. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's why you, you know? never see dorch driving around in a corvette I, i've said that no. for years <laughs> no 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 or a, a mini uh what you call it a miata <laughs> yeah, yeah not me but uh, overall i thought it was a really good episode it was fun to see the uh the, the mandalorian and, and you know kind of catch up with his story and and now it looks like he's going to join forces with boba fett so uh, it'll be fun to to see where yeah. the story goes from here no, I liked it a lot, and it's no surprise. Uh, it was directed by Ron Howard's daughter, Bryce Howard. Uh, she's directed a couple of Mando episodes uh, in the past. And she's also, I read, where she's been tapped to, uh, and you'll remember this probably as a kid, she's been tapped for Disney's remake of Flight of the Navigator. Hmm. Uh, they're going to do a, a complete reboot of that, so... Um, She's a talented actress, uh, just but just like her father, she's graduating to behind the camera, and she's in that little uh, clique of Star Wars nerds that John Favreau has collected. And I thought this was one of the best episodes, and it definitely sets up the the latest episode, which just dropped yesterday. And we steadfastly have refused to talk about 
if we tape this thing on Thursday, we are not going to talk about the most recently dropped episode. As a service to our listeners, we don't want to, uh, <laughs> to, to provide too many spoilers about what's going on. So we'll, we'll break That's that right. one down next time. Chris, always a lot of fun. I enjoy it, man. All right, buddy. Take care. Chris Dorch alongside. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you next time on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.